this, this new stuff is driving me a little crazy. That is the one thing that links them to stand racial worship. I think there's something we've forgotten. Uh, you know, I grew up, in, man, in the 70s and 80s when youth ministry was going crazy, and we had our own youth buildings, and we wanted to move away from the church. You know, we were out there going, we had our own youth worship band, and who cares about the pipe organ, you know, and, uh, and realized that for a time it did what it was supposed to do, but we missed something. And that is, uh, we used to say this. In fact, the studies are, we used to say, hey, when I ran, run youth ministry, I go, hey, we have about one adult for every five kids, you know, especially in middle school, like, whew, maybe two adults for every five kids. Uh, but now they're saying, man, we need uh, five adults for every one kid. And if, you, if, a, kid, if, a, if, a, if a, a young person has five adults in their life, and this doesn't even have to be that significant, a mom, grandpa, it would be, be nice if the majority had a, a dad, but a mom, a grandma, a teacher, a coach, and a youth pastor, there's twice the possibility that they will not engage in at-risk behavior just, just if they have five. And here's the, here's the re reality. 80% of American youth have two, a mom and maybe an uncle or something. So, uh, I mean, you guys are pretty privileged to be here as families to do this kind of thing. I mean, really, really privileged. It's a cool deal I saw. So that's neat. Um, little review. Uh, this morning, <clears throat> wow, this morning. And then I'm on again tomorrow morning. Wow. <clears throat> Where am I? Um, we talked about the reality that uh, we were created to live in a story. And uh, we are created, every person, to reflect the image of God. Do I have a slide on this or something? Maybe I don't. Uh, we are uh, created to be in right relationship with, uh, with God, with the, the, the earth, and with each other. Is this me? I'm good. And uh, we were created to do God's stuff, to name things for God, to uh, put the kibosh, to subdue. That, isn't that a great word? Don't forget that word. To put the kibosh in anything that doesn't bring the goodness of, of creation. At the end of every day, God said, and it was good, and it was good. And then we said, the very end, after he created humans being, it was tov ma'od, it was very good. And I told you about Emily, this young lady who found God because she lived into the story she was created to live in on an alleyway on a rainy night in Portland with a homeless woman in a wheelchair. And we said that if the Bible... Uh, in some way, the Bible tells us that in order to understand God, we need to look at Jesus. And these verses here just mean so much to me. Like Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. 
or Hebrews 1.3. This is my new favorite verse. That Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. And I'm just saying, if you want to know what God is like, we don't just jump to the Old Testament. We get some pictures there, but we, we got to be careful. The clearest picture of what God is like is Jesus. I'm also very aware <clears throat> that wrong introductions lead to wrong conclusions. And so I don't know how you were introduced to the idea of who Jesus was. Pictures of Jesus, and I don't know how you see Jesus tonight. Uh, but I, I do want to share an account of Jesus that might just blow your mind, actually, if we read it right. Uh, I mean, this is actually Jesus' first public talk. It's found in Luke chapter 4. And we, we know that maybe Jesus had said a few things before, like in maybe Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he mentioned, hey, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. But this was the first time that it's like, all of Family Fest, like Pete decided, to, hey, our homeboy's coming back to his hometown. That's what it was. It was in his hometown, and everybody had heard that Jesus was coming back, and they decided to um, throw a little Family Fest. I don't know why this is popping like it is, bro, but it just is. This little Family Fest party where all the reunions came together to say, let's hear what the homeboy has to say. He's back, and uh, let's hear what he has to say. And here's the story. It's found in Luke chapter 4. But before I get to it, uh, don't turn the, put this on here quite yet. Um, let me give you a little uh, church history from where we left off in Genesis to the story in Luke chapter 4. Okay, about this much right here. won't take long. Because <laughs> um, we have to have some background as to this moment when Jesus came to the you know, family fest reunion for the big reveal. Because um, the Bible's crazy. Um, Everything you might hate about the 6 o'clock news, you, you can find right in here. Uh, rape, uh, violence, incest, murder, uh, domination, war, ethnic cleansing. It's a story of the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer right here. It's a story of sacrifice, crazy sacrifice. You know, you know God didn't make up sacrifice. People were sacrificing. Uh, I mean, Cain and Abel were just sacrificing. And God entered that system of sacrifice. I mean, crazy. Every tribe had a God, and every one of those gods demanded human sacrifice, mostly sacrifice of your first child. Every one of them. The Baals, Molech, Dagon, they all did. And on top of that, in the messed up world of ethnic cleansing, domination, violence, uh, God decides, whoa, we're losing the story. We're losing the story you're meant to live in. The beautiful story I'd set up and took a nap and, oh my word, so God even sets up priests to remind people of the story they're supposed to live in. And these priests became as corrupt as everything else. They created a whole system. In fact, by the time Jesus shows up in Luke chapter 4 for the big family fest reveal, you know, all city party to tell what he's about, these priests had developed 613 rules of inclusion and exclusion who couldn't be in and how to sacrifice and what to do. It's a story of racism. Big time racism. God's chosen people and all the others were out. In fact, man, you think about this, it's a story that is about people, priests and people who, who made a system that favored them. Well, that sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? Women had no rights. 
I mean, the thought of a Me Too movement, are you kidding me? Women were property to own. Their testimony didn't even count in a court of law. They couldn't have dreamed of standing up for their rights. Black lives matter. No lives mattered. Except for the few that were chosen by God. Everybody else was out. They said God wants to separate us from them. The priest said, in fact, we don't let others in to the church. You know, rich people are blessed, obviously. This is all here. Poor people are cursed. They must have done something wrong. Lame, blind, crippled, prostitutes, tax collectors, drunkards, they're hated by God. They couldn't even come in to the temple. They turned the temple, by the way, into a Walmart where sacrifice was bad enough, but now you had to go in and buy the special sacrificial animals at the temple for a little more. And if you broke a rule, there was a system in order to get God to like you again, you had to take a lamb or a, a goat or a bird or something and go and, and you can imagine if you're poor and you broke a rule and you had this incredible choice. Do I feed my family? Do I take the lamb and I go sacrifice so God loves me? Which one am I going to do? And on top of that, Rome, the most powerful empire in the history, had come in and colonized their land, taken it over, and put immense taxes on it. So if you're poor, struggling with sacrifice, trying to survive, believe me, if you look at that first century, it was bleak. You can imagine the tension that you lived in if you were poor with Roman taxation and a, an empire that wasn't yours, that had taken over your whole city. Well... It's that context that Jesus comes to Family Fest's reunion. The homeboy's back in Minneapolis, Galilee, and let's go hear what he has to say. So they all came into the temple, those chosen people, to hear what Jesus has to say. And here's what he says. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to, the, to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of Jubilee. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you, there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, and yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, took him to the brow of the hill in which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked through the crowd and went on his way. 
I would have loved to have been there when they took him to the edge and they were like, oh, and Jesus goes, not today, boys. And he's just going to walk through. You're like, whoa. What's going on here? This is his first public speech. I mean, have you ever gone to church and after the sermon wanted to go throw the pastor off a cliff? You better start preaching some better sermons, pastor. I mean, Jesus is reading from a 500-year-old prophet, Isaiah. And I would just say this. Isaiah was the hot prophet. I mean, he was like the Kanye of the day or something. Like he, Everybody just knew who he was. Everybody was thinking about Isaiah. He said a lot of things about Jubilee, about a new time when the Savior was going to come. In fact, Mark chapter 1 tells us that Jesus came in the line of Isaiah, the prophet. I mean, everybody knew Isaiah and was hoping for the dreams that he had in his prophecies about someday being a Messiah that would come and change the system. Jesus read from that. And there were three statements in his first public speech there in Galilee that would have freaked out the crowd. The first freak-out statement was this, the year of Jubilee. Now, in many of your versions, it might say the year of the Lord's favor, but everybody knows this was the year of Jubilee. In fact, turn to your neighbor for a minute. Um, well, first, say Jubilee. Okay, turn to your neighbor and just talk about that for a minute. What is Jubilee? Go ahead. Turn amongst your friends. What's Jubilee? Because by saying Jubilee, it was like saying like the Super Bowl. I mean, everybody knew what it was. But like Fourth of July, everybody knew what it was. What's Jubilee? You know, what do we know about Jubilee? Anybody? What do you know about Jubilee? Oh, you got it up there. It's all been given away. Um, here's what, we, what, do you, what do you know about Jubilee? Have you heard, heard, heard this before? You can read about it in Leviticus chapter 25. Um, what's that? Debts were cleared. Your debit card was just cleared. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, all the wealth was redistributed. And slaves were set free. So uh, this is a command by God called Jubilee. You can read about it in Numbers, you can read about it in Exodus, you can read about it in Leviticus chapter 25. This idea that uh, on the 49th year, on, it's kind of in, the, in you know, the Hebrew people are into numbers, like seventh day. On the seventh seventh, which is like 49th year into the 50th, this incredible year, we have a new creation. Debts are forgiven, slaves are set free, and all the land is redistributed so that everybody gets an equal start, a chance to start the story over again. Uh, take a minute. Uh, the, historians know this. Israel never lived that out. Um, so I want you to turn to your neighbor again and ask this question. Why would God set up something like Jubilee? Go ahead and talk. Sounds a little socialist to me. This is early on in civilization, early on in Israel's history. Anybody, what, what, what do we think? why would God think of this idea, hey, on the, every, on the 50th, 49th year, 
we, we're going to start. You know what? It, jubilee literally means this, sound the horn. Do you remember those vuvuzelas they had in the South African World Cup? Those dang plastic horns? You know what a vuvuzela is? They, I think they banned them from the World Cup now because I think it was the South African World Cup. Everybody had one of those things and boom, and they were just blowing them. And was, Shut up, you know. But it means sound the horn is, is literally what it means. Um, sound the horn on the 49th year, the 7th, 7th. Because we're going to start the story over. Sound the horn. In fact, Bono got so excited about this idea. I mean, somebody, is Bono a Christian? Yeah, he is. In fact, he meets with Eugene Peterson, who just passed away, the, the, the uh, author and writer of the, of the message. His son is a great friend of mine, has a church right in Spokane, Eugene Peterson, who wrote that, uh, the translation of the Bible. Bono meets with him all the time and uh, came to the Lord because of this idea of jubilee. In fact, he started the Jubilee Debt Campaign, now called the One Campaign, in, in the push to relieve Western debt that they've given to third world countries who can never pay it back. To, to, to forgive that debt so they can actually move on. And so that the West doesn't control all the power all the time. So why would God set up a system like this? Any thoughts? I mean, don't you think that God had this idea that he knows the greed of humankind that left to our own, the rich will get richer. The poor will get poorer. And somehow he set up a system that says, every 49th year, like, we're going to blow the horn. We're going to sound the vuvuzela. <laughs> we're going to say, hey, the losing team is going to score a goal. Whew. That would have freaked everybody out especially if you were in control, had a little power. Are you kidding me? The second freak-out phrase was Jesus' mention of these two great prophets, Elijah and Elisha, that we read. I mean, they were sent, and who these guys were sent to when there was a famine and a leprosy outbreak. These two prophets were not sent to the holy ones that wanted to separate themselves from everybody else. I mean, a widow, Elijah was sent to a widow in Sidon, which is modern-day Lebanon, which people hated those people. And Elisha was sent to Naaman the leper from Syria. I mean, we still have issues with that people group. These tribes were people that, were, were people that everybody knew God hated. They were racists. They hated those people. And Jesus said, hmm, interesting who those prophets went to. And then the final third statement that would have freaked out the crowd was this one. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. I mean, basically, Jesus came into that church, that synagogue. All the crowd comes, his hometown. It's been about 30 years. What's this guy saying? Let's listen to what he has to say. He freaked them out and basically said this. You've rigged the system to favor you. Everyone you're against, by the way, God is for. It's time for Jubilee. We are pushing reset. We're starting the story over. Blow the vuvuzela. We are going to change it all. And uh, by the way, I'm God. And they said, nope. And they took him to the edge of the cliff to throw him off. 
That's his opening, you know, inaugural speech. Man. I mean, maybe you don't get this. Like, Monday's Martin Luther King's holiday, where we stop and think about the racism we've experienced and been a part of in America. And if you've seen the movie Selma, which came out a couple years ago, it'd be worth watching that movie Selma. Uh, maybe this will help us understand the radicalness of Jesus. Watch this. That's what happens when a man stands up and says enough is enough. That's what happens when God shows up and says enough is enough. They took him to the edge of the cliff and wanted to throw him off. You know, I, I never got that kind of Jesus in Sunday school. I got this Jesus in Sunday school. I mean, this is what I remember about Jesus. I mean, I just kind of grew up thinking that Jesus' whole mission was mostly about when I die, where I'm going. And so I would come to a camp like this or a retreat like this or a high school camp, and I just wanted to listen to enough to a guy like me, the speaker, to figure out how to get the get-out-of-hell-free card and then just get on with my freaking life. I, I never thought that, that, that somehow God really cared about the stuff that I cared about, you know, like global warming or racial injustice or ethnic profiling or war or poverty. My wife is the director of Young Lives in Spokane, which is a ministry of young life working with teen moms aged 13 to 19. We have 150 teen moms aged 13 to 19 coming to a club with babysitters and mentor moms, and we're trying to find these teen moms jobs, the most overlooked group of people in our society who are scorned by the church as well, because, oh, they've done the big sin. And even if we get them a job, why, why, even if they get a full-time job at Taco Bell, they can't make enough to, to, to pay rent, let alone child care or any health care. Or why 17 million children still go to bed hungry in America today. I didn't think God cared about, you know, if we should build a wall or not. 
or why 17 million children go to bed hungry, or why my college costs $53,000 a year to go to, and why so many young people commit suicide, and why the poor can't afford health care, and every day 90 people die of gun violence in America. Every day, 90. And why this year Chicago set a record for people being shot, 1,433. I never thought God cared about that stuff. Don't get me wrong. It's not that God doesn't care about what happens when we die. It's just that God cares about now. Right now. A lot of Christians are all concerned, you know, pastors and preachers, about getting you there. But when you read the, the New Testament and you read the story of Jesus, Jesus was very concerned about getting there here. I mean, it was his first message. It's amazing what he didn't say. You better, you know, ask me into your heart so you can get to go to heaven. Now, I'm not saying there's no heaven. <laughs> and here's what I love. I mean, take the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not that God isn't concerned about what happens when we die. It's that he's really concerned also about what happens here. And his first message said a lot about that. Jesus' first message was so crazy, radical, and revolutionary, we're going to start the story over, that they wanted to kill him right out of the chute. And here's what I love about Jesus. We're entering, you know, there's a lot of political wrangling going on right now. We're ending another, we're starting another political season where somebody's going to try to figure out, you know, who's going to be the next president and going to stand in, you know, as we start to start the season again. But here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus wasn't a politician who just made great speeches. Jesus took it to the street. I mean, check this story out, right? Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd, and so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your home today. So he came down and at once welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, 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 look, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. I mean, what an incredible story. Who is Zach? the most hated guy in town. He was a tax collector. Romans would buy these guys off to help them do their dirty work. And we know the story of tax collectors. They got into, it was like the black market, like the mafia. They would take a little more than you needed. They were becoming wealthy off cheating the people. They were the most hated. And here's the deal. It wasn't that Zach couldn't see Jesus because he was short. Let's be honest. I mean, if you came down to the parade, and he had obviously heard about Jesus, he came down to see what was going on, and you were short, I mean, he'd be like, hey, Zach, come on up here. Get up here. Get up front row. Come on, man. Yeah. No. 
Zach couldn't see Jesus because everybody hated his guts. I mean, like if I'm there at that parade and Zach comes by my family, hey, Zach, no, no, you're not, you get away from my, you know, get away, I know, you, you better watch your back, dude. I know what you do. Get away from my family. You know, everybody hated Zach. Zach was doing a little hiding and seeking. He was seeking, but he climbed that tree to hide because everybody hated him too. I mean, that's the story of Zacchaeus. And it says that when Jesus reached the spot in the midst of this big parade, he says he reached the spot. I don't know if Jesus, you know, looks up and he says, hey, Zach. And I'm sure Zach's like, you know, <laughs> putting the leaves, you know, I'm God, I can see you, you know. Uh, come down. I, I, I wonder what Zach thought God would say to him. Like if God stopped under your tree and said, come down. I mean, Zach comes down. I don't think Zach expected to hear, let's go to McDonald's. Whatever happened, something changed in Zach's story. I mean, when Zach's story collided with God's story. The rest was his story. I mean, it says this. Lord, look here, he said, after he spent time with Jesus. I will give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay him back four times. And Jesus said, today salvation's come. Today. Son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Believe me, the crowd was shocked. Nobody would have expected God, that God, to stop under that tree and ask that guy to lunch. They were like, what? I love Jesus. He didn't just give speeches. He lived out what he said. And Zach didn't come out and (laughs) say to everybody, hey, I asked Jesus into my heart, and I'm going to heaven. Rather, Zach stepped into the story he was meant to live. He reflected the image of God. He was in right relationship with God and then with his whole village. God gave Jubilee, Jesus gave Jubilee a chance for Zach to start the story over. And Zach gave Jubilee to his whole village a chance for them to start the story over. He paid back four times. That's salvation. Instead of shouting, I get to go to heaven, he brought heaven to his town. Man. In a way, we all climb trees. I think most people are hiding and seeking. We hide because we act so much as if we have it all together all the time. I think men particularly are the biggest posers And it's really cool when you can just get real. Maybe you've experienced a little bit of this even in your first small group. There's something cool when somebody says something and you go, really, me me, me too. And you just kind of hug and go, oh, man, we're just human. But most of the time we're hiding, posing as if we got it all together, changing our profile, looking good on Facebook. And we're all seeking, wondering if there's something more. Jesus said, verse 10, it's such a powerful verse for me. For I have come to seek and to save the lost. I want to play one song and then close in prayer. A song by a guy who 
his life is kind of crummy, but his song is really good. A guy named John Mayer, who I really like, I like his music, listen to this song. This is just after an uh, album he put out after uh, he'd been in rehab. And I just want you to listen to the words of this song, and then I'll close. You can hit the lights, too. When I was a kid, I'm sure everybody, and my grandson even does this, we love to play hide-and-seek. And, seek. and uh, I remember my best friend Lyle and I would get together with the neighborhood kids in Seattle when I was uh, in grade school, and we'd go out. And I remember one time, uh, my mom would always blow this whistle when it was time for me to come home. She had this little whistle, and we were out in the neighborhood, and uh, finally I found everybody, but I couldn't find Lyle. So you do that Ali Ali oxen free, whatever that means, and you're yelling, Ali Ali oxen free, come out, come out wherever you are, and, and we couldn't find Lyle. I was like, okay, Lyle, like, he's my best friend, you know, like, we're done. And everybody's yelling, Lyle, Lyle, and going, okay, Lyle, I hate you if you're not going to come out, you're just stupid. And then my mom's blowing the whistle, I got to go home, the game's over, and I'm like, you're so stupid, just talk. I'm walking by his driveway. And in, as I'm walking by his dad's car, I hear this muffled noise in the back of the trunk of the car, this, this pounding. And I realized that Lyle had hid in the trunk of his dad's car. He went in, opened up the trunk, got in the back, and shut it on himself. It was a July day. It was like 100 degrees outside. And, you know, and so I come by, I, I got the trunk open. I open it, and he goes, you never found me. And I was like, well, you hid in the freaking trunk, you know, like... He goes, you should have really found me. You're in the trunk. You're so stupid. You know what? He just went home. I'm never going to play with you again. You know, and he, I went home. But he, this is the truth, right? Like, 
whatever tree you're hiding in, God has stopped under it. And maybe it could be this weekend that you actually come down and get to know him. Because Lyle had the truth. Hide and seek's no fun if you're never found. And this is the great story of Jesus. He came to seek and to save the lost. And it freaked everybody out because he hung out and sought out all the wrong people. Let's pray. Lord, so grateful that the image of you is most fully captivated and captured in Jesus. Help us to wrestle with the truth of that first message. And help us to bring the truth of the prayer you taught us to pray. That the kingdom isn't just something we go to when we die. You asked us to step into the story we were created to live in and bring it here. Yes, someday we believe we get to go. But help us to remember where to bring this place to the garden that we have been planted in. I ask this in your name. Amen. Circle your chairs up and we'll get going.